0: Hi, everyone. and Welcome to this week's episode of The CX Cast. This is your host, Jenny Wise. And on this week's episode, I am joined by Forrester Senior Analyst, Judy Weider. Hi, Judy. Hey, Jenny. How are you doing? Doing pretty well here at my home office. <laughs> Thank you for joining from your home office today for this episode. Um, so today we're going to answer a timely question And one that, Judy, I know you've done some research into and have some great examples for. And the question is, how can companies adjust policies and experiences at this time to help customers? And I don't think this this question is surprising to anyone, right? Because we know that there is a lot that has changed rapidly, a lot of things up in the air businesses are trying to stay afloat and wonder what to do in light of all these shifts that had ha- haven't happened. Uh, but I'd love to hear from you, Judy, what was some of the core drivers of the research that you've done into this topic so far?
1: Sure. So it actually started because amazingly, we were listening to our customers, and we had Always some clients to start. <laughs> what an amazing idea! It's so revolutionary. So we had some clients that had expressed some questions to our customer experience council, our leadership board, and said we realize that people are making changes, but we don't know if. We should be making changes. We don't know if the changes we've already made are sufficient. We want to hear what other people are doing. Mm -hmm. And when that was posed to me by the leader of the council, Amanda Brax, I said, well, you know, there's stuff out there. I've been cataloging all of these emails that I've been getting because it was sort of fascinating to see how the emails evolved. It sort of started out as we're here for you. And then Mm -hmm. it was, we're shifting and we're changing. Like maybe our store hours are going to be smaller and We're going to lower the number of people that can come in. And then all of a sudden it was, we're closed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Here's what we're doing now. And different companies were reacting different ways. I saw some folks were saying, we're just shifting everything to online. And I saw other people saying, well, no, we're actually going to close our warehouse because we still have people working in our warehouses. Mm -hmm. And we're worried about those people in a very fast fashion because everything happening right now related to the topic of COVID-19 has to be done quickly because, as you pointed out, it changes so fast. We started to pull together a whole bunch of examples very, very quickly from a bunch of different places to be able to tell people this is, this is not the sum total of what we're seeing, but these are right. examples of the kinds of things we're seeing. And so we're hoping that in one sense, it might validate for some people that they needed to take action. And for others, it might inspire them if they hadn't yet taken action, it might give them something to bring to their bosses and say, hey, we should do this too.
0: Yeah, some ideas to, to get started. And as you mentioned too, it's hard hard to know where to start because there are so many forcing drivers here that change, right? There's how are you protecting your employees and how does that change your operations? There's what is being mandated and how does that change your operations? There's also how are you messaging and understanding how you're going to support your customers through this too. So it is, there's a huge range of options of how you can react here.
1: Right. And one of the things that's also making this so incredibly complicated is that it is Mm open-ended. We don't exactly know how long this is going to go on. And while businesses tend to have some kind of reserve fund lying around, they don't necessarily have unlimited amounts of cash. And with that in mind, they have to think about, well, how long do we have to be able to continue operations in this kind of crisis mode? Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of this is is also just the uncertainty around how long this could possibly go. And then what we're seeing is people are adjusting as they go. And so that's actually one of the heartwarming parts of all of this. So not only are people making changes, they're not just sort of doing a set it and forget it, they keep evaluating continuously, which I think you really have to do with something like this.
0: Mm hmm. Completely. And I support what you're saying, which is we don't know how long this is going to go. Right. And I think there are some companies who at first were doing a little bit of a, a wait and see in how they were going to react, you know, if the market conditions were allowing them to. But I think we have gotten to the point where we don't know how long this will go or what may happen. But we know that this is going to continue for a while. Right. So uh, in some capacity, some changes have to be made. So in thinking about these changes, we've talked about just how vast the options are. Are there a few sort of key themes that bubbled up when you did your research?
1: Absolutely. So there were three key themes that we saw. And when we organized the report, we have tables to document examples of each of those just to make it easier for people to kind of think about them. So the first one is around removing sources of customer stress. What is the pain That your customers are typically experiencing and that can be things like, you know, fees or payments. A lot of it revolves around money, but it's just are, what are the things that you're doing that generally cause me pain in the average journey and how much of those need to happen right now? The second one is gonna be around um, adding benefits, and that may be adding additional products and services. It may be doing enhancements to existing products and services, but it's trying to find a better way of doing what you're already doing or what you're already bringing to market. And then the third one is really what I consider to be embracing your ecosystem. So it's thinking about your ecosystem partners That's particularly important for B2B firms, thinking about the impact that they have on their customers, and really kind of looking at it from those three points of view, thinking about removing sources of customer stress, thinking about how you can add benefits, and thinking about how you can embrace your ecosystem partners. Great.
0: And I'd love to go into each of those three to really get get examples and understand what they can mean and how companies can do this. Because when I hear the reduced sources of stress, right, there is stress that customers have always felt when trying to do certain interactions. So if we're thinking about financial services, maybe customers were always stressed in understanding how to manage their wealth. We also now see new sources of stress as well as the economy has been impacted, right? So maybe people are now more worried about their financial well-being in the short term. So- in the research that you did when you were talking about the theme of reduced sources of stress, I guess you have some examples you can share. And is it tapping into stress pain points that have been happening always and identifying and uncovering those? Or is it looking at new emerging points of stress because of everything going on in the world right now?
1: So it's a bit of both. On the things that are continuing challenges, it's things like if you're, healthcare firm, if you're a health insurer, thinking about cost sharing. So there were a couple of insurers that came out flat out and said, before the government even said anything, they said, we will cover this for all of our members. We'll cover everything from testing through treatment and any kind of consultation that you need. So that's really awesome. And so a lot of that relates to financial hardship. Financial instability. You know, you were you had a, a car lease for a Subaru or you know for a Mazda, and you were thinking that everything was going great, and then you got laid off from your job, and now you're dealing with your twelve hundred dollar check that you got from the federal government that was a one time payment, and you're panicky because unemployment just is not going to go far enough to pay for this. Well, folks like Chase, who their motor finance manages for a bunch of different. Uh, man, auto manufacturers they're offering the exact same terms to all of the companies that they're working with so you can extend your your loan or extend your lease and take a deferment for a period of time and they've just done it in a really like no nonsense fashion if you need to take 3 months off of paying for your car note then we're just going to tack 3 months onto the end of your loan same thing with a lease so there are things like that where people are sort of realizing this is an acute moment and they're dealing with it, that doesn't necessarily mean that people are dealing with the systemic problems that we have always seen in Journeys, all the pain points, but they're trying to find them. One of the ones that I particularly like, this is a great example, is from a company called ClassPass that connects people with fitness classes, and they're on a subscription basis. And for this example, what they've done was they saw all those stay-at-home orders coming out, and they proactively emailed the members that they had in those areas and said, we have paused your membership for you. You don't have to take any action. And it was just all set. And they would unpause it as soon as those stay-at-home orders were lifted. For people who were not in one of those areas, they made it really easy. They said, just email us here. We'll take care of it for you. And so they were just keeping it really, really simple. Yeah, and those are uh, sort of good examples because they're a little different,
0: right? And what the application is. Some of them is recognizing that your customer circumstances may change hopefully for the short term so then it ends up being a positive customer experience and hopefully they will then come back when we think about this example though and this is something i'm i'm just wondering about too so we don't know how long this will last for right and so some of these situations may go on for a really long time and so businesses are going to have to ask themselves right what here is a, a customer reprieve that we've been given um, that we can then bounce back from when our customers bounce back versus you know how how long will we continue to offer this as a service? Because on the one end, this is helping the customer in the short term to retain them in the long term, right? Through customer loyalty um, and just being able to, to retain them as a customer when it's feasible. But it's also hurting your business's bottom line, potentially.
1: I think a lot of the markers that you're going to have to look for are the same kinds of things that... The cities and the, the regional areas and the national governments are looking for as well, which is what are the true markers of some kind of a recovery? Do you have the ability for people to get out and about if you're a retailer, for example, and you sell clothing? you know that you can't have the same number of people in your store that you normally would. You would kind of know what reasonable capacity is. You're going to have to figure out what social distancing needs to look like for you. And you're going to have to sort all of that stuff out before you can even reopen. So regardless of what your locality says, they may say, yep, thumbs up, go for it. You can reopen. But if you haven't sorted all that stuff out, if people come in, they may come in only in dribs and drabs. So I think a lot of it has to be that even if some of the markers are there, are you prepared to be able to handle whatever those changes are?
0: Right. And as you mentioned too, there's the psychology of it all as well, right? So maybe things are fine now and we do have the money to do this, but what if this comes in a second wave and then we don't again, right? So there's going to be this long tail psychological effect too of added stress that customers are going to have. This is um, an aside, so then we'll move on to the next question, but we're doing this piece of research right now on the redesign of physical spaces, and it touches on a lot of what you're saying, right? How do we give these cues to the customer and our employee that we're going to be protecting their health and their wellness going forward, right? Because we know that this is going to be a long time before those situations of going into a store feel normal. So that's really interesting.
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot of this that's really, really depressing. So trying not to get too depressed with all of it, but, but no, but it's, but the thing is, it's, it's important to, to be able to think about, you're not necessarily going to be able to quantify all of it right now. Um, But I think the important thing is that any business that is seriously considering trying to roll back any of these changes that they're making, or that wants to consider how their reopening plan should look really needs to think about some of those psychological components because they're going to affect on multiple levels. On one level, let's say that you're a business that operates primarily in an office location, and you're not a, a retail store, for example. Just because you can reopen your office doesn't mean that everybody is ready to come back in. And so you need to think about from an employee experience perspective, what do you need to do to understand your employees' um, feelings and their emotions and their concerns? What can you do to allay those that aren't just health and safety uh, theater, if you will? And how can you make that a really safe place for them to be able to do their work? Or is that even the right place for them? Can, can they still continue if they want, if they need to, can they still work remotely? And then the same thing for your customers. What of these things that you've stood up are things that you should continue to do? So when we get to, say, the next one, we'll be talking about things like curbside pickup when we're talking about benefits that's a great benefit. How much of that can you continue to do? Because maybe that's also something you should still do.
0: Right. So we talked about the reduced sources of stress. Um, The next one is added benefits, right? Which, as I understood, it means that you are beginning to uh, communicate to the customer in new ways or offer them new features or functionalities, or maybe even services to help sort of get them through this time. Yeah, you're you're doing new
1: stuff, or you're doing more stuff, or you're doing things differently than you were. Um, For example, the YMCA is offering virtual workouts. And depending upon which Y you're a member of, you're either on their national platform or you're using more local platform. My own local sort of regional YMCA has a combination of Zoom and YouTube. And then there's that proprietary system that they have. It's just a bunch of different ways that they're delivering fitness classes in ways that they'd never done before. Previously, if you want to take a class at the Y, you got up and you drove to your Y and you took the class mm-hmm. in person. <laughs> Some of the other things that we've seen that were really neat, um, sort of thinking about health in particular, Alberta Blue Cross, um, in addition to all of the things where they were removing sources of customer stress around certain kinds of forms and things that their members had to fill out, and they actually added a benefit this program that they call Text for Hope, which is a free. Text based program that connects their members on a daily basis with messages and advice that helps support their overall mental well being. And so this is just this nice add on that really fits in perfectly with their overall set of values around thinking about the whole member and understanding that the emotional and mental well being are absolutely strong contributors to the physical well being. Mm-hmm.
0: And I want to tap into. Uh, sort of you know some of the research that you also do thinking about prioritization. Yep. Right. With this question. Because when I hear this, you know, it in a way, and this is not the case for all of these examples, but in some ways this is going to be a forcing function of innovation, right? For new products or services that deliver on sort of broader customer values um, or circumstances than a company previously delivered on. So I'm curious when Companies are thinking about this. Some of these adjustments are actually shifts in their product and service and innovation roadmap. Is that something that you, I guess you have seen or should companies be expecting to make these shifts?
1: So yes, this is an accelerant and it should be. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're, we're in this unique moment where you can really capture people's attention because they're are fewer dollars and euros floating around for all the different products and services that could potentially be purchased because people don't need to consume as much in some cases. I I haven't gone to my local coffee shop um, in months, which is probably making them very sad (laughs) because they're used Mm -hmm. to relying on me every morning without fail. Um, And so that, that then means that you're competing harder for every single piece of currency that comes across your path. If you can point to the fact that this will help us get money that otherwise we're just going to lose, that should move you up on that prioritization matrix. And anybody who who's prioritizing and has their list and hasn't changed it in the last two months, all I can say is get on it now. Get on it. Yesterday, it should have been done already. Right. Um, and right. you're going to have to review it much more frequently. Where normally I would say, you know, you should be taking a look at your prioritization on a pretty regular basis. But like think of it like a 401k look at it once a quarter. Don't look at it monthly because that'll just drive you bonkers. I think it needs to be reviewed much more frequently right now because there may be some idea that's out there that somebody says, hey, you know, we can kind of do this on a shoestring. Can you help us with some investment so we can try and figure out how to scale it?
0: Mhm, yeah, I think that's good. Um, good advice. <laughs> People definitely should be rethinking uh, what it is that they're working on and why. And as you mentioned, that's because there's more competition right for everything and every dollar that's being spent. And also, I think that customers' willingness to try um is at an all time high now as well, right? So for class pass, they may have only wanted to go to different workout studios, for example. Um, But right now, that same customer who never would have tried a remote class is now going to try a remote class um, and they might find that they like it. So there's also that sort of customer interest and willingness to try um, variable that's also increasing right now.
1: Oh, yeah. Very personal example here. So this is a shout out to Bank of America. My mom had a bunch of checks that she needed to deposit, but she was concerned because she couldn't find any information that would tell her, which branch she could physically go into where she could get the service that she needed. And so I just happened to suggest to her, you know, they have remote image capture if you download the mobile app. And she went and tried it out and did all of them that way. And she said, now I'm going to go do that with my personal accounts. And it was this eye-opening moment for her that just made her life so much easier. And very importantly, it gave her peace of mind And one other example from CIBC that, among other things, they've been proactively reaching out to seniors who are their customers to help them walk through the digital alternatives to the things that they would normally do in a branch. And I think it's great that they're doing that proactive outreach because that's deflecting that person, feeling discomfort about having to leave their house and walking into a branch and possibly being surrounded by people. So that was just a, you know another example of, of how this technology can be great. And for some people, it's going to be the first time they've ever used it, even though it's already been there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So cool. So we have these ways to help, reducing yeah. sources of stress, adding benefits. And then you have a third, which is embracing their ecosystem partners. What are some examples of companies that have done that? And what does that look like?
1: So there are a couple of really cool examples here that I'm very happy about. For example, we have Restaurant Brands International, which is the parent of Burger King and Popeye's and Tim Hortons. And they decided to do something extra for their Burger King franchisees in the US and their Tim Hortons franchisees in Canada. And so for these 3,700 locations, they made a couple of changes. The first one was they gave them some cash advances. So they put money directly into their pocket, realizing that their traffic had gone down considerably. They wanted to give them a quick cash infusion. The second thing was they changed their rent payment structure and also offered rent deferment for 45 days. The rent payments for franchisees is typically uh, sort of a calculation. Part of it is a fixed payment, and part of it is variable based on the amount of sales. But they took a look at this and said it doesn't make sense when you have so many fewer people walking in the door or coming through the drive-through. Let's just change it up. And so, remember, this is contractual language that they effectively just upended at a moment to make it easier for their franchisees. They said we're going to go 100% sales. So whatever you pay for rent, if you don't sell, you don't pay rent (laughs) rather than you have to pay a set amount that you may or may not be able to cover and to be stressed out about it. So that was really fantastic because that was thinking about what's the franchisee experience like so that they can continue to just focus on what they do best, which is deliver the experience that they're intended to provide. Um, so just a couple of really great examples there. But we're, we're definitely mm-hmm. seeing it in the B2B world. And a lot of it comes down to how are we handling money coming in and how are we handling money going out?
0: Right. Right. And if this whole thing has uh, shown anything, it is that yep. there is a support ecosystem for every facet of life. And that also goes into businesses as well. And so thinking about that connection across that ecosystem and what is needed to keep the whole thing as up and running and successful as possible becomes really important right and you should then enable and empower right your other partners in that ecosystem to act in the way that will benefit everybody right well judy thank you so much for joining and sharing all of those examples and also creating a framework right in which companies can think about how they can respond right, to what is happening, because I think uh, the hardest thing for many companies to do is to even understand how to get started. So sharing those three, reducing sources of stress, adding benefits, and embracing their ecosystem partners um, is a really helpful starting point. So Judy, thank you so much. Listeners, if you want to learn more about this topic and see some more of those examples that's in this research, uh, we've included a link to the report as well as some blog posts in the notes for more information. Thank you everyone for listening. Talk to you next week.